Hello, everyone, and welcome to Before Amber, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Lady Amy. Today, we are going back to Colorado. I promise I have nothing against Colorado. It's a very pretty state. I visited it last year, and I really enjoyed it. I just have a long list of cases that I want to cover, and Colorado probably has the most cases on that list. My opinion is because of its location, a lot of people pass through it, so it's an easy place to have a crime and make a quick getaway. Plus, there's a lot of hitchhikers that go through there, especially in the 70s and 80s, so they were real easy targets for criminal activity. Either way, I promise I'm not picking on Colorado. So let's get into it. As always, people of interest and suspects in these stories are innocent until proven guilty by a court of law. So today we are remembering Roger Ellison. Roger was born on March 11th, 1963 to Ernest and Evelyn Ellison. He was the youngest of five kids. He was described as the all-American boy, a straight-A student, popular, yet also a loner. He was a loner because he focused on his goals and he worked really hard towards them. When it comes to goals, Roger had one of the biggest ones that you can have. He wanted to make the U.S. national ski team like his older sister had. Basically, he wanted to be an Olympian someday. He had been accepted to Western State College in Gunnison, Colorado, and had been working really hard to be able to pay for his dorms. He had already saved enough to pay for his first semester housing. In order to do this, he actually worked for jobs, so he worked really hard. At school, he worked really hard on his skiing, and he had four jobs. He was a bag boy, a helper at a dairy farm, a picker at an orchard, and he was the local handyman for his neighborhood. On February 10th, 1981, it was a normal day, but Roger's parents waited for him to get home, and they waited longer and longer. They started to get worried. They called the school and checked on him, but they told him that Roger hadn't been there that day. Roger's mom said this couldn't be true. Roger had perfect attendance and he wouldn't just skip school one day on a whim for no reason. After waiting up all night for him, his parents called the sheriff's office who told him that they had to wait 48 hours before they could report him missing. So instead of waiting, they took the investigation into their own hands. They got in their car and started searching for him. They went down back roads, checked in wooded areas, ditches, drainages, anywhere that they could get to physically. So let's back up just a little. That Tuesday morning, February 10th, 1981, Roger had looked out his window, told his mom that it looked like it was going to snow. For him, this was a good thing because he had a ski race that coming weekend. So fresh snow meant a better track. He then left the house wearing a blue t-shirt jeans or brown pants, a light blue parka, white socks, and sneakers. He headed to the bus, which would have taken him six miles to Cedar Edge High School in Cedar Edge, Colorado. The bus driver talked to the police and said that Roger was on the bus, that when he got to school, he got off, he waved at the bus driver, and then he went into the school. So that's one person that confirmed for sure that Roger had gone to school that morning. Between 8 and 8.30 a.m., he went to his locker to get some books. This was confirmed by his locker mate, Mitch Coleman, who said that Roger had hollered at him to hold the locker open for him. Roger then told him to go ahead and go to class and that he'd catch up with him in a little bit. He just needed to grab a few books first, but Roger never made it to class. He didn't make it to any of his classes that day. This was the last reported sighting of Roger. It appeared that Roger just disappeared. He vanished. 
After that 48 hours, Roger's case was assigned to Delta County Sheriff's Detective Keith Wable. At first, he thought maybe Roger had run away to get a job at a ski resort. This was something that a lot of teens had been known to do, especially those that were really into skiing. But the more time Detective Wable spent with the family, the more he believed this wasn't a runaway case. For starters, like we already said, He had goals and dreams that he was working towards. It was believed that when he went to school that day, he only had about $3 for lunch and his backpack on him. He left behind a car and motorcycle, about $1,000 in his bank account, which equals about $31,000 today. And what troubled people the most was his skis were left behind. His skis were his most valued possession. He also wasn't dressed to be out in the cold for very long. The parka really doesn't hold up very well to the Colorado snowstorms that they can have. Some reports had said that Roger was supposed to turn in an assignment to a teacher named John Pash that morning, but not in class. No, at his home. Mr. Pash lived right next to the school, so it wasn't like he had far to go, but it still sounds very suspicious to me. It was not confirmed or proven to be incorrect as to whether he took assignment to Mr. Pash's house that morning. There are conflicting reports, but according to reports, this was something that a lot of kids did. A lot of kids would turn in assignments to Mr. Pash at his house. Mr. Pash has taken to online forums more than once saying this is untrue. He's also said a lot of other stuff. We will go a little more into John Pash and what he says a little later. It was said that Roger was supposed to turn this assignment in to him that morning so that he could make his ski race that coming weekend. Why would he need to take it to his home? It doesn't matter if he lives close. Why couldn't he take it to his classroom? Also, his skiing had nothing to do with school. It was an outside activity that was on the weekends. His grades wouldn't have anything to do with his eligibility to perform. He hadn't missed a single day of school, so he wouldn't have had to make up an assignment And he wasn't going to be missing any school, so he didn't have to have anything done ahead of time. Over the years, it has come out from students that many times John would have kids over for group counseling or get-togethers. Allegedly, it seems that these events may have had underage sex and drugs. Because police are aware of these allegations, they believe someone might know something as to what happened to Roger but have just been too scared of getting into trouble themselves for doing illegal activities, so they haven't ever said anything. Online, there are also former students who have accused John of heinous acts and basically being a pedophile preying on students. Like I said, John Pash says this isn't true. Allegedly, before Roger went missing, his dad, Ernest Ellison, confronted Pash and told him that Roger was not to bring his homework to his house and that he was only to see Roger in school. One of Roger's siblings said, quote, my father had a notion about Pash from day one, end quote. Six months after Roger went missing, his dad, Ernest, passed away, not knowing what happened to his youngest son. His health had declined from the stress and worry of missing his son. He had already had some health issues and this just kind of escalated it. Shortly after Ernest passed away, John Pash allegedly approached the Ellison family and told them that Roger had confided in him during counseling that he had a lot of personal problems going on and was suicidal. No one else in Roger's life believes this. Yes, his family had reported that he had been a little odd in the previous month before he went missing, but what teenager doesn't go through something like this, especially if you think about it, it's his senior year, he's preparing for college, he's preparing for graduation, he's training really hard on his skiing, 
He's working four jobs. You know, that's a lot for a kid. So he probably is a little off. Roger's ski coach had spent the whole weekend with him prior to his disappearance. And he said that everything was fine. Roger was in good spirits. He was looking forward to the upcoming race. If Pash really had this kind of information, why didn't he tell the authorities right away? Why did he wait six months? Why wait until after Roger's father passed away? The man who, according to family, had always suspected Pash. Again, online, Pash said this isn't what happened. He claims he had told the police some information that they have not made public for reasons he does not know. He also said that the Ellisons wanted to talk to him, and it wasn't that he just out of the blue wanted to ambush the family or cover his own bottom. I'm going to be straight with y'all. This case was hard for me, not because of the case itself. The majority of the cases I cover can be kind of hard researching because there just isn't that much information. This case was hard because of all the crap that I had to read from John Pash. Lots of BS word vomit. He talks like he is better than you and highly sophisticated, but it's all just twisted words to try and make himself look good and make you look like an idiot. It doesn't make him look innocent in any way. To me, it makes him look more guilty. That's just my opinion. I try really hard to watch what I say on this podcast so that it's safe to listen to with your children or your grandmother or someone around. So the nicest way for me to put it about this guy, he comes off as something a woman might use on a Midsummer's Eve and the bag it came in. There's actually a really good website called findrogerellison.wordpress.com that was actually one of the best sources for this case. She put together a lot of information from a lot of sources into one location, and she put a lot of John's posts together from all different websites where he responded to allegations and stuff. Sadly, the journalist behind this website passed away. I think it was in 2011. So the site hasn't been updated in a long time, but she did a great job with it. She went to locations, including John's old home and the school before it was remodeled to check things out firsthand and write about it. But just so you know what I'm talking about, here is a very, very small part of one of the many posts on Web Sleuths from John. It says, quote, Hello, sleuthies. I use this term because it is obvious that you all lack the skill necessary to be a true sleuth. And what is the needed skill, the ability to reason, both deductively and indeductively? What you all do is take a questionable rumor, factualize it so you can make it fit your needs, and then pat yourselves on the back, thinking you have made a substantial advance in criminal investigations. It is rather obvious that you are a group of, quote, wannabes, so get out your yellow legal pad and pencil so you can begin the process. I have found two websites, which I will include in this discussion, The Charlie Project and Find Roger Ellis. You may want to wear a trench coat and galoshes and have your umbrella open because it's about to hit the fan, end quote. Moving on. Roger's family didn't give up hope. They searched high and low. The problem was there just wasn't any leads. In May of 1982, Detective Wabel actually had told a newspaper that they never really had any solid leads in that first year. Pash was really the only person of interest, and yes, he was considered a person of interest. In 1984, John sold his home and moved away. Over the years, Roger's family hasn't given up looking for him. 
They would go to ski events just in case he showed up, but he never did. They drove around looking for hitchhikers just in case Roger was one of them. On September 23rd, 1981, around 4 p.m. in the afternoon in Durango, Colorado, it was raining really hard and a man was driving his pickup truck along the highway when a hooded figure dashed out in front of him. The pedestrian was struck and killed instantly at the scene. The driver had no time to stop. The pedestrian was believed to be 15 to 17 years old, brown hair, about 5 foot 9 and 150 pounds. For a split moment, they believed that maybe this was Roger, but after further investigation into the body, it showed it wasn't Roger. The poor boy was never identified. The community was very touched and heartbroken by the fact that no one ever claimed him, so they came together, buried him, and raised money for a headstone. He is now simply known as Durango's Unknown Traveler. To this day, no one knows who the boy was. I tell you this story because it is forever linked to Roger. Newspapers all over the country ran an article about Roger's case and the Durango's Unknown Traveler, comparing the two cases. In 1994, a couple of things happened with Roger's case. First, his case was shown on the Sally Jesse Raphael show, and some new leads came out of it. Two separate callers said that they recognized Roger as the one that they knew. However, the leads didn't pan out, and it turned out it was someone that just looked a lot like Roger. Secondly, in 1994, a witness came forward and said that they had seen John Pash digging in his backyard around the time that Roger went missing. When the witness asked what he was doing, he told them that he was just moving roses around. This was odd to the witness because it wasn't the right time of year to be doing that kind of stuff. This tip led police to do an intensive search of Pash's old home. They didn't find anything, but sources say there were actually two anomalies under the garage floor, but at the time they chose not to dig up the concrete. In 1998, a dying man called the police and said he needed to clear his conscience. He told the police that in 1981, he and a friend were out in the woods poaching, something that was illegal, when they ran across a young man that was tied up and another man holding him at gunpoint. Him and his friend turned and left immediately. He said that as they were leaving, they did hear gunshots. They swore they would never speak of it again. The dying man said he believed the tied up man was Roger and he even picked him out of a photo lineup. He also passed a polygraph and his friend confirmed the story. The person that he and his friend picked as the gunman has only been said to be someone the police are familiar with but no longer lives in the area. I wonder who that might be. In 2005, a new sheriff, Fred McDee, told the Delta County Independent newspaper that they believed Roger had been killed shortly after his disappearance. In 2008, an online forum noticed something. Back in September of 1981, in Chafee County, Colorado, some skeletal remains had been found. The John Doe was estimated to be about 17 years old. More bones were found in 1986 in the same area, and they were ruled to be the same person as the 1981 bones. With the second set of bones, they found three cartridge casings and some clothing, which included jeans. This John Doe had actually never been compared to Roger. This led to the start of testing, but sadly it was determined that the remains did not match those of Roger. They first compared dental records that did not match, and they also compared DNA. In 2010, the school went through a huge renovation, and Roger's family and the detectives held their breath, hoping that some clue or Roger might finally be found. But nothing was found. And that's the last that we have of Roger Ellison. If Roger had left that day on his own, how did no one see him? If someone forced him to leave, how did no one see him? Did something happen to him at the school? Was his body hidden there and just still not found? Surely if it was there, it would have been found by now. I hope someday they check under the garage 
in Mr. Pash's old home. Roger's case is still open, and if you know anything, please contact the Delta County Sheriff's Office at 970-874-9734. Also, Durango's unknown traveler still needs a name. If you have any tips on this, please reach out to the Durango PD at 970-375-4700. That's all for today's case. I normally don't do this, but on a personal note, my brother had some really major surgery this past week, so please keep him in your thoughts and prayers. He has a long road ahead of him. Bubba, I love you, and I'm thinking about you. Don't rush. Let your body have time to heal. All right, that's everything. If you don't already, please like, follow, or subscribe, depending on where you listen to us. Please leave a five-star review, as it really does help the podcast grow. If you have a case you want covered, please send an email to beforeamberpod at gmail.com. You can also follow the show across all social media at beforeamberpod. We will be back in two weeks to remember someone else. Until next time, thanks for listening. Later. All sources are listed in our show notes, but some of the sources for this case include newspapers.com, the Daily Sentinel Grand Junction, thecharlieproject.org, the Doe Network, and the very, very helpful site, findrogerellison.com. WordPress.com. Thanks again. Later.